0: uh i greet you all this morning uh it's a delight to gather with you once again uh for those of you who are here already and for those who are uh watching at home uh, it's my delight to be with you uh, this morning so we are continuing our studies in the gospels and acts And today we want to finish, uh, doing Mark and then also do John. And, but before we do that, let's bow down for a word of prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. We are so grateful to you for your love and your kindness, which has been made manifest to us through the Lord Jesus Christ and which has been made more sure by the Holy Spirit that you have given to us. And as we, continue, as we consider this morning uh, the gospel of Mark and also the gospel of John, I do pray, O oh Lord, that you shall help us to have great gain from these studies. Please guide me that I will be able to speak only that which is needful. And also please grant that all who hear would be enriched and better helped in their understanding of this uh, subject. These things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. So last time we began looking at the gospel of Mark and the last thing that we said was that Mark writes his gospel to proclaim jesus christ as the son of god and so mark begins his gospel in chapter 1 verse 1 with the proclamation the beginning of the gospel of jesus christ the son of god and then he he shows that this is the old testament this is what the old testament promised says, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now, we saw that more than that intention was to explain what that meant. And, throughout, and so throughout the gospel, we will have God proclaim jesus to be the son of god and we will also have demons proclaim jesus to be the son of god but in mark 15 is when we have the first human being mark 15 verse 39 is when we have the first human being and now the significance of that is that this centurion who proclaimed this Uh, the whole point is to show, or rather Mark's whole point here is to show that by seeing Christ raised from the dead, or rather by seeing Christ's uh, death on the cross, thus Christ is shown to be the Son of God. Now it's important for us to understand why Mark does this, and I will venture a an educated guess and say, so one thing that has been shown by history was that there was a wrong understanding, especially in Rome, of what the Son of God means, what that title meant. And so what Mark is doing is showing that as far as the Christian faith is concerned, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God by his death. Uh, and also by his resurrection. I say that because turn with me to Romans chapter 1. Again, you remember this letter was written to the Romans. Mark's gospel was written to the Romans. So let me show you something else that Paul does in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, verses... Let me read just from the beginning, verses 1 to 5. He says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and then this, and was declared to be the Son of God, or rather was shown to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So Paul here says that, Jesus Christ was declared to be the son of God by his resurrection. Mark makes the point in Mark fifteen thirty nine, that and let me read it. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. Uh, so Mark emphasizes that the death of Christ Shows him to be the son of God. Paul in Rome says. Writing to the Romans also says. That Jesus was declared in power to be the son of God. Or was shown to be the son of God. By his resurrection from the dead. Now that is important. Because immediately what that says. Is that. Aside from all that Christ did, aside from everything else that Christ did while he walked on this earth, the thing which shows him to have been the son of God, to have been sent by God, was his death and resurrection. It seems to me today that Too many people are concerned with other things about the life of Christ and are not enough concerned with Christ's death and resurrection. And yet this is the focus of Mark. Christ's death and resurrection is a significant event. We can't say enough about it. Because if Christ did not die, then you are still in your sins. If Christ was not raised from the dead. Then you are still in your sins. That's Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 15. If Christ is not. If the dead are not raised. Then you are still in your sins. Because it means that Christ himself is not raised. Everything in Mark's gospel. Indeed all the gospels. Is leading us. Is guiding us. Towards this reality. That. Christ died on the cross and he was raised from the dead. Now, like I said last time, Mark's gospel is short because he focuses on what Christ did. And it is significant that one third of Mark's gospel, one third of it, is dedicated not to Christ's ministry, healings, uh, or even teachings, but to his passion, what we would call his passion, or sufferings,
1: death, and resurrection.
0: This is the most central thing. Uh, If this is removed, we don't have a gospel. If this is removed from the Gospels, then we don't have Gospel accounts. Because the word Gospel is, means good news. And what is the good news? Not that you can uh, do the same miracles that Jesus and the Apostles did. No, the good news is that the Son of God has come and what has he done? He has suffered, died, and being raised for your salvation. That is the central thing. So that's what, that's what we said about Mark's purpose. That was his purpose. Now, <clears throat> let's look at other themes in Mark, uh, which are helpful for us. Uh, I'll speak about two or three then we'll, go, we'll spend the bulk of the time in John. So the first one is that of the three synoptic Gospels, the, by synoptic we mean uh, alike, the Gospels which are alike, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark, though his Gospel is the shortest, he has the most vivid, uh, for lack of a better word, stories about what Christ did. What do I mean by that? It means that of the three synoptics, usually if you go to a story where, that is in either Mark or, is in either Mark or Luke uh, but is also in Mark, sorry Mark or Matthew sorry, Matthew or Luke, but is also in Mark, you'll find that, Mark gives more details. Let me give you an illustration that will help. Uh, Turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. We we won't read it, uh, the whole section. But if your Bible usually has titles, you'll see that Mark 5 verse 1 to 20 uh, tells us about Jesus healing the man who had a demon. The Gerasim demoniac. Uh, The man, the demon, the man who had a demon who was in uh, the area of called Gerasim, and you see, Mark records that incident in twenty verses. If you look at Luke, Luke in Luke eight, Luke
1: eight twenty six to thirty nine.
0: He does it in 14 verses. And uh, Ma- Matthew does it in seven verses. And so you'd expect that Mark will give more details and he does. For example, Mark tells us that the demon's name, the de- when Jesus asked the demon's name, that's in verse nine, he says, and Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Uh, Mark and Matthew and Mark don't, Matthew and Luke don't give that information. Uh, the same with uh, the number of pigs; it's only Mark who gives the number of pigs as two thousand. And so you see, that's one unique thing about uh, that's one unique thing about Mark, is that he gives more details in his accounts of what christ did and that's that's very important for us it's helpful as you're reading to understand why oh this is in this but not in this it's because mark gives more information uh, and also mark spends more time explaining Uh, he would explain for example the meaning of a feast because who is he writing to he's writing to people who are not jews who don't know Jewish feasts. Uh, now, of course, it, it, that detail also, I don't want this to turn into a TPC class, but when you when think of the fact that he uses the word legion, uh, legion was, is a Roman term. Obviously, Jesus did not use that term exactly that way, but he's explaining, the answer is like translating the answer which uh the demons could have said to jesus into an into terminology that the romans could understand okay Uh, then there's another detail Uh, mark focuses on what we would call chronological orderliness And this I'll say briefly, uh, because the main thing I want to talk about is the third uh, aspect. Uh, usually, Mark's accounts are written in a chronolo- chronological means, for those who don't know, chronological means uh, following the right order in time that they have of events that happen. So that's what Mark is more chronological in terms of his orderliness. So if you read his account you'll see there is that division. One example is how though Luke doesn't have this account but the fig tree the, the withering of the fig tree. If you look at how Mark uh, Matthew does it, Matthew talks about that incident as one as as though it happened once. But that's because uh, Mark's main Mar- Matthew's focus is to highlight the teachings of Jesus. And so he, he does it at once. But Mark uh, because he wants to focus on what Jesus did, he divides. he actually shows how it actually happened. That so he divides it into two that they went in the morning and then the next morning or I think it's the either the morning or the evening of that day they saw that it had withered. So Mark, Mark makes that division. So that's what that's how Mark does. Uh, Then finally, the the last thing I want to look at is on something which actually I realize is worthwhile saying while I was uh, doing the ladies' fellowship. And that is the issue of discipleship. Well, discipleship and faith. Now, I'll talk about discipleship next week, uh, God willing, when I preach uh, discipleship and faith. But we can talk a little bit about faith. So turn with me in Mark chapter 1. I think it's helpful for us to understand the subject of faith as it is in the gospel. Uh, Mark Mark chapter 1 verse 40 to 45. I'll read it very quickly. And a leper came to him imploring him and kneeling said to him, if you will you can make me clean moved with pity he stretched out his hand and touched him and said i will be clean and immediately and jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him see that you say nothing to anyone but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what moses commanded for a proof to them but he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. Now, uh, one of the struggles that people have when it comes to the subject of faith is, uh, for example, is what we see here. Jesus, this man asks Jesus to to heal him, and Jesus immediately heals him. Uh, Matthew's account would would add the information that Jesus said to him that. Uh, sorry.
1: No. Sorry, that's that's something
0: separate. But so Jesus heals him immediately because he had faith. So what is biblical faith? I think that's, let's talk through it in this way. What is biblical faith? Biblical faith is trust
1: in God. At basic, it's trust in God more specific
0: it's trust in Christ now this young man comes to Jesus or rather sorry this leper comes to Jesus and he tells him if you will you can make me clean so how does he show his faith by his words he doesn't say if you can but if you will. Now, the reason why I would say that this man had faith was because he didn't didn't use the word can. He used the word will in his request. He says, Jesus, if you will, if you have the desire, you can do it. As opposed to if you can, he's saying that I'm not sure that you can, but if you can, you heal me. He had faith in that. He knew more, it was a matter of will. And here is where the problem usually comes in. Oftentimes when we pray, uh, because of the issue of where Jesus, for example, would say, pray according to the Father's will.
1: Uh,
0: If you pray according to the Father's will, uh, then God will answer. And so there's usually that tension in people's minds uh, and it's a tension which I don't think should be there really uh, between is God really willing? And so what I want to emphasize is that faith is believing
1: in God's ability to bring about What we ask in prayer. Uh,
0: Now, the reason why I think, again, this is important, uh, is because I think sometimes uh, when you leave the charismatic uh, kind of churches, where people are saying, where people there and usually how they pray is as though uh, now they focus on the other extreme, which is if you pray and you believe that it's definitely going to happen, but then, so we come to, we, we get a better understanding of what faith is. And we go to the other extreme where we say, well, God will do whatever he can, whatever he wants. So I don't really need to pray. But I think that's a problem. I do believe, and I think from the life of Jesus, we can demonstrate that, that our lack of faith does, in a sense, keep God from using us to accomplish his will. God will accomplish his will, but if we don't have faith, God will not accomplish his will through us. Let me give you an example. Why is it that Jesus could not do many miracles in Nazareth? It's because of their lack of faith. That's what it said. Now, how ex- I would say that it's not that uh, they brought people to Jesus and then this, because they didn't have faith, Jesus uh, was not able to heal them. I think the issue was that they didn't go to Jesus at all. That was the real issue. They did not go to Jesus. Uh, And I think that's something important for us to to see. Do you believe in God's sovereignty? Yes, that's good. But do you also understand God's sovereignty in in, in its entirety? Do you understand what God being sovereign means? For you as an individual. Because faith. Always means. Going to God. Believing. Going to God. Not asking if he can. But if he wills. And I think it's important for us to. To have that in our minds. That faith means going to God. The reason why Jesus could not do many miracles in Nazareth was because of their lack of faith. Their lack of faith meant that they did not go to Jesus for him to do what he had the power to do. Let me tell you, if you don't pray, if you don't take your needs to God, and then you say, well, God is sovereign. Uh, he will do whatever he, he wills. That's, that's wrong. That's not how God has ordained things to be. God God's sovereignty is such that he works through means. And one of the means is praying in faith. It's it's that praying in faith and simply going to him, recognizing that he can do it. Uh, If you are sick, you can go to him and ask him to heal you. And of course, not having, because usually people are saying, well, it might be his will for me to serve," And that's true. Of course, God is sovereign over you getting sick, but he's also sovereign over the means of grace which he has put in your life, which is, for example, prayer. So we have to pray in faith. Of course, we shouldn't expect that it will happen exactly the same way because Jesus' ministry is unique. His miracles were assigned to point him as the Messiah, but we also ought to have faith uh, the same way that we see these people had faith in him. Uh, I hope that point is clear. Uh, at the end, if there's a question, we can deal with it. So let's move on to John. I said I'll talk about discipleship next week, so uh, we can wait for them. So the Gospel of John. Now, turn with me to John chapter 20. Uh, John chapter 20. We really have to finish John today because next week we will look at Luke and Acts as we finish. So, John 20, verse 30 and 31. John 20, verse 30 and 31. And... We're going to, in John 20 verse 30 and 31, it's going to help us know what the purpose of the book is, but also uh, how then the book is structured and how it's meant to inspire faith in us. So John 20 verse 30 and 31, it says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So immediately, John tells us immediately one thing we see is that after talking about the signs, says Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written. Okay. Okay. So, of course, Jesus performed other miracles, which he has not written here. But he's saying, but these, and of course, that therefore asks, which ones? Which ones are these that he has written? He says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So, uh, the signs...
1: Are written with what end? That you may believe. Believe what? That Jesus is what? The Christ,
0: the Son of God. With what great purpose? That by you may
1: believe and have eternal. life
0: john is saying that these the things that i have written here they have one purpose that you may have faith that you may obtain eternal life and what john does in this book is to show that lack of belief in jesus lack of belief in these signs produces eternal death If you don't believe, you will have have eternal death. And in the book, he contrasts those who believe and those who do not believe. But he says that there are signs. He's written these signs in this book. So we ask, which signs are those? And I think these ones help us uh, see the structure of the book better. There are eight of them. There are eight signs which... John uh, writes, Uh, the first one is in chapter 2. John chapter 2, verse 1 to 11. We won't read it, but we'll read verse 11. So what is happening in John chapter 2? John tells us that this is the first miracle that Jesus ever did. And what was this miracle? The miracle was that he turned water into wine. Today, you hear people, drunkards and all that, excusing their drunkenness, or even sometimes other people making a claim for the rightness of drinking wine from these verses. And... I don't really, I don't think the Bible forbids drinking alcohol. But to you, come to this verse is to miss the point of the passage. Jesus turned water into wine for a purpose. And John records it for a purpose. We know the story. So let's read verse 11 and see what John says should be us believing in Jesus as the Son of God. John 2 verse 11. He says, This, the first of his signs, remember what we've read in John 20? This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. So this was to manifest Christ's glory.
1: His glory as what? As the son of God. But then.
0: See what happens. What does. What does the miracle do? And his disciples. Did what? Believed in him. His disciples. Believed in him. They saw the sign. And they believed. In him. That is what Jesus had been saying that he is. I am the son of God. Then there's the next. So that's the first one. Uh, Then the second one is in chapter 4, verse 46 to 54. That is the healing of the royal official's son. So here the key verse is 2.11. Here is 4. Verse 53. What does chapter 4 verse 53 say? After Jesus heals this royal official son. Verse 53. The father knew that the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. Then verse 54. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Do you see the pattern? Do you see the pattern which John is making? He's saying, well, two things. He's saying that he's writing this book so that we would see these signs that Jesus performed. But his goal in showing them is that we might believe. And he's saying... When this sign, when Jesus performed this sign, this was the response. And in a sense, he's saying that by the end of the book, is you ought to follow the example, the example of these people. This is evidence enough that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you believe in him, you will have eternal life. You see, Jesus' miracles are there for us to have faith in him they are not there simply uh, for us to again and i think i will keep going back to this because this is what we have in the world people expecting miracles today but john tells us what these miracles were for they were for faith they were that we might have eternal life. Not that we might walk on water today. They were that we might walk in faith in the Son of God. By seeing what he did, it ought, we ought to humble ourselves and put our trust in him. That is his goal. I don't know what you may have been told, but you see I'm showing you this is what John is doing. Then the third one is the healing of the paralytic. In Bethesda, that's chapter 5. We'll focus on verse 14. Chapter 5, verse 14. Now here we see John change his strategy somewhat a little bit in, in talking about faith. He says, so Jesus heals this man. Uh, the crowd and the Jews, that is the Jewish leaders ask him, how did you get healed? And by that, they asked him because he was, he healed him on the Sabbath. Jesus had a knack for doing that healing people on the Sabbath. Uh, <laughs> So verse 14, he says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Uh, And then he says, So here, what is Jesus asking for in particular? Repentance. He's telling him, go and sin no
1: more. You see, faith and
0: repentance, some would say, are two sides of the same coin. So he's telling the man, have you believed in me? Repent. Go and sin no more. It's interesting. I think it's beneficial to see what happens next. Verse 15 uh, to 18 i'll read very quickly the man went away and told the jews that it was jesus who had healed him and this and this was why the jews were persecuting jesus because he was doing those things on the sabbath but jesus answered them my father is working until now and i am working then verse 18 This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Why have I I bothered to read that? It's because Jesus is saying that his work of healing does what? Shows that he is the son of God because he speaks of God as his father. And he says, my father is working until now. And I am walking. So you see that connection. His signs are to, show, are to show that he is the son of God. Now, of course, as we go along, and this is the first place we see it, we see how those who rejected what they did. Uh, so he shows that not everyone believed this. Not everyone was convinced. And in John 12, uh, Jesus makes tells the reason is that God has blinded their eyes as a punishment for their sins. Uh, We'll see that more in the morning. Uh, So, number four, the healing of the, the feeding of the 5,000. This is, I think, one of the only miracles that is recorded by all four Gospels. Uh, so that's chapter 6, 5 to 14, uh, but we'll read uh, verse 14, Six 14. Uh, 6, verse 14, he says, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. So, of course, when Jesus healed the 5,000, what happened? Though these people eventually, we see that they did not have true faith. And it may be that they did not receive him as the son of God. I think a case can be made for that. But nonetheless, they recognize that Jesus was unique. Uh, Unfortunately, we see that they misunderstood Jesus and it led, they misunderstood the miracles of Jesus. And of course it led to Jesus going away from them. Verse 15, perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Instead of having faith, they wanted to make Jesus their political king, which is the wrong thing. As far as John is concerned. In fact, as far as Jesus is concerned. Because Jesus wanted them to believe in him and have eternal life. That's why he tells them about, I am the living bread. Uh, If anyone wants life, they must eat, take of my body and eat. He says that he is the manna come from heaven. Jesus is trying to show them that these signs are for you so that you might believe and have eternal life. Then of course the next one is walking on water. We won't really talk about that. Uh, For that you can read uh, six, chapter six, verse twenty-one. The disciples. This was again for the disciples. Then the blind man. the man born blind from birth. I, I think this one is worthwhile reading. This is chapter 9. Uh, we'll see verse 35 to 38. Chapter 9 verse 35 to 38. Uh let me read. Jesus heard that they had cast him out. Who had cast him out? The Jews, the Jewish leaders. Uh, they had cast out this man who had been born blind. Then Jesus said to him, uh, Jesus, sorry, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And then listen to this man's response. He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Verse 38, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped
1: him. Now you think about that.
0: Jesus had healed him. This man had had a disagreement with the Jews who were denying Jesus. Uh, He even says, uh, You can't. Heal a man who has... I mean, God cannot empower a man who is a sinner. This man, he healed me. You don't know where he comes from. Yet this man healed me. And see how he responds to Jesus. It says, Lord, I believed. And he worshipped him. Why is that significant? Because who deserves our worship? Rather, sorry. Yeah, who is the only person who deserves worship? God. And so, what is this man saying by his worshiping Jesus? That he's the Son of God. If you compare that with the people uh, who, the 5,000 who had been fed, they believed that Jesus was unique, but they didn't believe that he was the Son of God. They wanted to make him an earthly king, but this man recognizes. That Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, then there is the raising of Lazarus, Lazarus from the dead. We see that in 11, where we'll focus on verse 25. 26
2: and verse 45.
0: So we know the story of Lazarus. Uh, verse 25 to 26 says this, huh? Jesus said to her, I is speaking to Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Then verse 27, Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So Martha already believed that Jesus was the Son of God. Who... But... In a, she didn't have a full picture of it because Jesus had to tell I am the resurrection and the life. That aspect of life uh, Martha didn't see its full implications with Jesus as the son of God. So what do we see in verse 45 after Jesus had, had uh, raised Lazarus, verse 45 many of the Jews therefore who had come with Mary and had seen what he did Believed in him. So there were those who believed in him. Then, but listen. But some of them went to the Pharisees. And told them what Jesus had done. So there was those who believed. And those who did not believe. But then again. What is the goal of this sign? That may believe that Jesus is the son of God. Finally. Uh, the resurrection. From the dead. uh so we'll read chapter twenty i will read verse eight twenty twenty eight and twenty nine so here we can also add twenty seven uh, so <laughs> verse eight then the other disciples who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed. So John and Peter go to the tomb to see, and they believe the report that Jesus has been raised. Then we go to verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and he said, now this is when Jesus has appeared to them, but Thomas is not there. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his sides. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, of course, that phrase, they were glad, it implies they believed. They believed. They were glad because they believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Then verse 28 and 29, the famous uh, account of Thomas. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. So what has happened? Again, Pete, verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. All right. Then we have a significant uh, action by, by Thomas. Jesus tells Thomas, don't disbelieve but believe. And then how does Thomas show his belief? He says, my Lord and my God. He's recognizing Jesus as the son of God. And then Jesus says, and, and this is, I believe, intentional, both by Jesus and also by John, the way he writes this. He says, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed that's a kind of uh state that's a kind of style summons to us who have not seen to believe jesus proclaims a blessing on those who have not seen jesus actually doing these things but have believed it's a call to us to believe and and then immediately what does john do He goes now into the purpose of the book. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He says that immediately after Jesus proclaims a blessing on those who believe without seeing. And it's an evangelistic statement. He's saying to us, "When we read of Jesus' miracles, when we read them, we have not seen them, but we are accepting these first-hand accounts by the apostles. Our response ought to be faith. We must believe in Jesus. To disbelieve is to fall into the same condemnation that those who did not believe fell into which is what hardness of heart that is the substance of what john is saying john is saying uh, that you must believe the signs even though you did not see yourself as thomas and the disciples did you must believe and if you believe There is a blessing from Jesus Christ himself. John chapter 12, when Jesus is speaking about those who are, why why there were many who who had unbelief. uh, John 12 verse 36 onward, he says this. When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. Then listen to the curse that is pronounced upon those who did not believe. So that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Which is what? Lord, who has believed what he had from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, Now, this is John's commentary on those verses. Therefore, he could not believe, for again, Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his glory and spoke of him nevertheless many even of the authorities believed in him but for fear of the Pharisees they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue for they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God do you see what John is doing there in the midst of speaking about a book that calls us to believe in Jesus by looking at his signs, he shows us the curse that came upon those who do not believe. And beloved, the message of the gospel that we have carries in it life and death. Paul says that, speaking of those who are in gospel ministry, that they are a saver of life unto some, And a fragrance of death to others. Why? Because for those who believe, they receive eternal life. But for those who fail to believe, their eyes will be blinded as a judgment for their unbelief. It's a serious matter john is not just writing a collection of stories for us to know about jesus's life he's writing to us about eternal things about things that concern eternity when you carry this message to others to your children to your parents to your friends to those in false religion to those who are self-deceived recognize that The real issue is life and death. For those who fail to believe, they will be hardened. Those who resist the truth, they will be hardened. Those who ignore it, those who prefer the glory of man rather than the the praise or the glory that comes from God, what happens to them? They will be blinded. There is no neutral uh, response to Christ. I think that's the point that I'm trying to make. Uh, I see there is a question over there.
3: Uh, Thank you so much for the abundance of pattern that you have shown us concerning uh, the purpose of Christ manifesting his glory.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: So that... uh, one will get to see and believe and therefore have eternal life so that the believing that you're saying is the opposite which is judgment the believing that you're saying is salvation mm-hmm. uh, but I like to ha- to create a distinction
1: mm-hmm.
3: that through the verses you have shown us maybe you, you may consider so there's two kinds of believing the one is the salvation that you have been saying, so that the opposite is judgment. But the other one is strengthening of faith, increasing of faith. So this increasing of faith is one who already believes. So that for instance, if you go to the first miracle for the disciples, when it says they believed in him, uh, it will be difficult to say that they, they believing there means salvation. When you go to also to the story of Lazarus, or maybe walking on water, the same believing there, it will be difficult to say that it's salvation for them. But rather than increase, they they increased their faith. Their their faith was strengthened. When you go also to the raising of the Lazarus, that he has died, and he said, "I'm glad, so that now you may believe." And then they went to uh, Lazarus' house. There again, for the disciples, it wouldn't be the eternal life believing it will be the increasing of faith also maybe for the sake of maybe also another example at the resurrection the same the more christ was revealing his glory to the disciples is so that their faith will increase all the more unless maybe we are saying that the disciples were not saved the 12 disciples were not saved so that when they were seeing the glory of christ and it's and it the word testifies that they believed in him Mm -hmm. it means salvation so maybe i'll I'll create a distinction and say uh there is a believing which is of salvation which you have clearly shown but there's also another believing that means increasing of their faith maybe you may consider that and maybe respond Uh. (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree
0: with that, that there is a distinction. And there's someone who has a question here, so you can pass the mic. But I do believe, yeah, I do believe that there is a distinction. However, uh, what I think uh, John is doing here is, which is, is when he's, for example, he talks about the disciples believing in him. Yes, I do believe that he they were growing in their understanding of who Jesus was now i think i have said this in the past that by the time christ came onto the scene unfortunately the interpretation of the old testament had gone and so people had a misunderstanding of what it meant for of who of what it meant for someone to be the messiah their messianic expectations were were wrong. They were completely wrong. And so I would even say, even today, people have a very widespread, you see people have a very different view of, what, of who Jesus was uh, than Jesus, what Jesus actually said. So yes, when it's speaking about the disciples, I do believe they had a kind of jam faith, small But their faith grew as they continued in their understanding of who Jesus was. But nonetheless, uh, at the end of the day, by reading these signs, even someone who is not a believer, just because the, the disciples had faith and it says that their faith grew, does not mean that somebody who is not a believer should not believe by reading this. So yeah, of course, when you become a believer, you... Growing faith by your growing in understanding of who God is. Yeah. So yeah. Thank you for making that distinction. It's helpful. Yes, Tito.
2: Yeah. The reason why I raised mine and almost immediately it's a related question. Uh, the the distinction. Uh, one one question that I usually have to myself, I've not been able to. Uh, conclusively come to a, to an answer to mm-hmm. is about uh, the faith that people had, like Jesus healed him because of his faith. If that too was a salvific faith or was it just a faith in the fact that Christ can be able to heal and therefore you go to him for Particularly that, not uh, a saving kind of sense. Okay. And uh, also, I think uh, in, in John chapter 10, um, Christ says there, verse 37, if I am. Said John? John chapter 10, uh-huh. 37. He says, if I am not doing the works of my father then do not believe me but if i do them even though you do not believe me believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and i am in the father Mm. so i don't know if he is trying to make that kind of distinction believing in him and believing in his works is I don't know if you get the question.
0: Yeah, I get the question. Uh, are you raising your hand? Oh, okay. I, I get the question. So, yes, uh, there is a kind of believing that comes to Jesus, not for what Jesus wants to offer the person, but for their own personal ends. Uh, And so you find that yes people did believe that jesus was uh, a healer a worker of miracles in fact uh, a jewish historian josephus writing about jesus did say that he was a worker of miracles but the distinction comes in this those there were some who came Merely for the signs. So someone was sick. He came only to be healed. But then there were those who came and seeing this, they believed what Jesus said of himself. And so for example, here in John 11, Jesus is having this discussion with the Jews, the Jewish leaders. Jesus is saying, I and the father are one. Basically, he's saying that he is God. And that's why he's able to do these works. I am doing the works of God. I'm doing the works of the Father. And he's saying to them, if you don't believe my words, look at my works. My works are the ones which testify that I am who I claim to be. And you see, Jesus' miracles in Galilee was not simply uh, that he would heal their diseases. He wanted them to come to him as the Messiah that God was bringing to them. And so you find, for example, in Matthew 11, Jesus denouncing the cities where he had performed most of his works. Why? Not because they had not brought people for him to heal them, but because having brought people or people having come to be healed, they did not get the required response, which was to look beyond the sign. To the reality. Again, and I love the way John uses the word sign. What does a sign do? It points to something, to a greater truth. Right? And so, Jesus healing these people, his expectation of
1: them was that they would ask the question, who is this man? How is he able
0: to do these things? Maybe I ought to listen to him. And having listened to him, I ought to believe him. Because the signs that he's doing, surely they've come from God. Satan cannot work the miracles that God can work. So clearly, this man has come from God. He claims to be the son of God. I must believe in him. Do you see the difference? And so, yes, there is. And you think about the parable of the soul. The seed that fell on the rocky ground. These are people who come, but when persecution comes, they quickly fall away. Why? Because they had come to Christ for the wrong reasons. And so that's why they cannot bear fruit. And so that's why I can say that these miracles are meant for us to look beyond who Jesus is. Sorry, to look beyond the signs to see who Jesus is, what these signs say that Jesus is. Yeah, so there is that, we would call it believing, but of course we make that distinction that it's not saving faith. It's not faith that leads to salvation. Outwardly, it looks like faith. Outwardly, when others see it, it looks like faith. But inwardly, in the heart, God sees that it is not genuine. And in due time, God will show that it was never genuine to believe, uh, to begin with. And that's why Jesus would say in the parable of the weeds, he would tell the people, don't go out uh, and try and pull out the, you might pull out genuine wheat as you're pulling out the tares leave the work of dividing the hearts of people uh, to God. It's a terrifying thing that Jesus is speaking there of his church and those who proclaim to be his. Which is why as the, as much as the Bible and this is the last thing I'll say before we close, as much as the Bible talks about the security of the believer in Christ, it also talks about it also calls us to examine our hearts. To ensure that we are in the faith. Lest we come to the judgment. And Jesus says to us. Depart from me. I never knew you. So this is clear. That, that principle is clearly shown. Uh, in that. In the accounts that we read. That Jesus was separating himself from a certain group. Why? Because they were not believing in him. The way that he has called us to believe in him. Okay. So. uh, I had hoped to bring out. One theme in John. But. That won't be able. I won't be able to do that. I wanted to to highlight. uh, Jesus. Talking about the Holy Spirit. But maybe we'll do that next time. Since the book of Luke and Acts. Do have that theme as well. Uh, So. So. As I said last Sunday, it's impossible for us to look at every single thing in these books. Uh, But my main uh, thing that I wanted to do was to show you how the writers wrote their their books based upon the purpose that they had set in the book, that this is why I'm writing this gospel. And I hope that will help you as you read the book in future. I will share... Uh, my notes for john uh, so that you may see them let's pray our heavenly father we are grateful to you again this morning for this hour or so that you have given to us uh, to consider your work in christ to see the life of christ as it is manifested as it was manifested to Israel and to the disciples, and how we also are able to read the Gospels. Do pray, Lord, that reading these Gospels would have the desired effect, that of faith, that of believing that Jesus is the Son of God, and by believing that we would have eternal life. Oh, Lord, please let no one who hears this, both now and in the future, miss that eternal life and be as those who were hardened because of their unbelief oh lord show mercy uh and to all who hear this we ask this in the name of jesus christ amen